Excited to open the Word of God this morning, and as I read a moment ago, if you'll join me in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, is where we're going to be walking through and looking at this command to pray, been looking at the commands of Jesus, and and over these past few weeks, and a few more weeks ahead, and this specific command to pray. When I, when I was a senior in high school, me and a buddy of mine had this grand idea that we wanted to be scuba divers. And so, uh, growing up in Corinth, Mississippi, there's not a lot of places around there uh, that teach scuba diving, but we were determined, and we found a place uh, down in Tupelo that taught and, and, and certified Patty certified uh, scuba divers, and so uh, we signed up, and for a couple months, we would drive down to Tupelo, we would take uh, the training and take the test, and, and ultimately, walking through that process, it all culminated with what's called an open water certification dive, like that's kind of the cherry on top, uh, and so that uh, required all of our class to go down to Panama City, uh, down on the Gulf and to get in a boat and to go out into the Gulf and actually do what we've been practiced, what we had practiced doing for those, whether it was weeks or months. And so I'm just curious, any scuba divers uh, in the house? Okay, there's a few. All right, so, uh, so, so we went and we did this open water certification dive part. So we're all in the boat, we're all going off into the Gulf. And uh, in order to walk through this certification, everybody has a dive buddy. And so my buddy I mentioned that I did a class with, his sister came, so they were, they were buddies, and then I had another guy in my class that I was a dive buddy. And on our way out there, it uh, was very kind of the, the scuba diving people to give us all fresh mouthpieces, uh, because every air tank has two airlines, two regulators, and then they gave us new mouthpieces to put on these regulators and some zip ties, uh, you know, so you'd have a fresh mouthpiece, and that was kind. Uh, and so we're buddied up, and then off everybody goes into the water, and we go down. It's about 60 to 80 feet uh, to the the surface beneath the ocean, right? That's where we are. And uh, we form a circle, everybody with their buddies. And the dive master's down there, and so the dive master would go buddy to buddy, and he would point at you, and when he pointed at you, that was your signal to practice the skills that you had been learning in the classroom, and so it came my and my buddy's time to practice the skill called out of air, share your air. Uh, And so again, kind of like in a real life situation, if your tank runs out of air, what are you going to do? And so so I take my my regulator out, and it just kind of floats around back there in the back, and I'm blowing bubbles out of my mouth, and I start making the signal I'm out of air. This means out of air, and this means share your air. So I say, out of air, share your air. And then the dive buddy right beside me, it's his job to find his second airline and then to get it and to bring it to me. And then I breathe off of his oxygen. And it's the whole like, you know, like if this were to happen, your dive buddy's there to help you out. So, so we're on the bottom ocean. I'm out of air. I'm saying share air. And my dive buddy is just struggling finding this other line on his, on his oxygen tank to the point where like, I'm really out of air, and I really need air. And, and like he's struggling, and finally he gets it, and he brings it to hand to me. And just as I put my mouth on the mouthpiece and go to take a big breath of oxygen, in that moment, the mouthpiece breaks off of the regulator to where 
I don't inhale oxygen. I inhale the Gulf of Mexico. Like, like I'm out of air. I need air in the, in the, the, the Gulf. Just like I just swallow it. Literally, I'm drowning. And I'm, 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 I'm kind of like wigging out a bit. And, and the, the, the dive master is there. And obviously what seemed like an eternity to me wasn't an eternity at all, but the dive master was there with his air to give me air. And he just held me there as I gathered my composure and then slowly took me back to the, the, the boat that was above. And I share that picture because it's a desperate place when you are on the bottom of the ocean And you have no ability to give yourself what your body needs. And I say that in light of talking about prayer. Because it has been said by many, many people that prayer is the oxygen of the believer's life. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. One pastor, John Amuchekwa, says this, Prayer is oxygen for the Christian. It sustains us. And so it follows that prayer must be a source of life for any community of Christians. It is to the church what it is to individuals breathing. Yet many of our gatherings could be likened to people coming together merely to hold their collective breath. And this would explain why people seem to have so little energy for actually living out the Christian life. How many times has prayer been the last ditch effort? How many times has it been the thing, okay, once we've exhausted our ability and once we've exhausted our wisdom and once we've exhausted everything we know to do, it is in the the emergency and in the desperation that that is what we turn to. We turn to prayer, and we cry for help. Just a couple weeks ago, it was week 17. Uh, Don't know how many football fans are out there, but the Buffalo Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and nine minutes into the game, there was a player that went down with a cardiac event. It's like the whole whole world just kind of stopped in that moment. Uh, You could hear a pin drop in the stadium. It's a capacity crowd. Players are united. They're linked around. They're covering him. Uh, as a protection, they're taking these, they're praying. Once the player is carted off, the chaplain then takes center place on the field and they're praying. There were, there were viral videos of Bengals fans and the fans uh, in the stadium going around uh, praying the Lord's Prayer. Uh, an ESPN analyst, uh, maybe you saw the, I believe it was Dan Orlovsky, I think was his, uh, his name. He was a former quarterback, ESPN analyst. Never seen this in a game. The, the analyst actually said, we need to pray. And so he stopped and he prayed on air. Never, never had seen that before. Why? Because in this moment of like, we can't fix this, we have this natural inclination to turn to God because we know we desperately need Him. We need Him. Uh, Damar Hamlin was the, the, the athlete's name. And, and I, I found it encouraging and, and puzzling at the same time. Like we're having our nightly prayer time with our kids and like my youngest daughter Waverly's like, don't forget to play for Damar. Like we were praying for Damar uh, through his recovery because it was just this name that was like, pray, pray. We all have those moments where we seek to others and we're like, pray, why? Because we know if God doesn't do something that we can't, 
We can't fix it. We can't do it. And so prayer, we know for believers, is not just the emergency switch that we flip when we're in desperation. Although God invites us to cry out to Him, it's actually the gift of ongoing communion with Him through communication that is made accessible 24 hours, 7 days a week because of the shed blood of Jesus. Because in Hebrews, the the writer tells us that we approach His throne in confidence. Why? But Not because of what we've done, because of what Christ has done for us to approach His throne and find grace and help in our hour of need. So as we look at prayer, as we look at the oxygen for the believer's life, as we look at this command of Jesus, may we be encouraged and reminded, as Paul said, never cease praying. That prayer is that communion through communication with the Heavenly Father. And I do just want to be honest with you all and say that this is challenging because I know in my own life, like, God wants more of me in prayer. He wants more. I am not coming to you as a believer who has it all together. I am coming to you as a fellow believer in the Lord, and I know God wants more. And He's worthy of more, specifically in this area of prayer. I've never met a believer who says, hey, prayer, yeah, I got that down pat, and uh, and just... Just follow me. I, I think for every believer, there's this, this stirring of like, I know there's more. And I know God, God wants more. And this is, this is the command we're looking at today. The main idea is that Jesus commands His people to pray for all things at all times. And this is, this is an encouraging, grace-filled blessing from our Lord. That He invites us and commands us to pray for all things at all times. In your Bibles, if you look at chapter 5 and then you look at chapter 7 and you look at chapter 6 where we're at, if you have a red letter Bible, pretty much the whole thing is going to be red letters because this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, the gift of the sermon that Christ gave and has given us. And isn't it, I, I don't believe there's no coincidence, isn't it amazing that Christ has chosen to teach about prayer right in the center of this sermon. Like he's taught, he's taught chapter five, he's gonna teach chapter seven, but in chapter six, right here in the middle, he's gonna teach about prayer. And, and could it be that it's prayer that, that is holding the whole thing together? That prayer is this blessing and this gift from God. And so I wanna make a few observations from the text about prayer. And the first is the motivation to pray. Every single one of us, when we pray, there is, there is, there is something that is driving us to do it. Why, why do we pray? Like, why do we do it? In chapter 6, verse 5, the Bible says this. Jesus says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So right out of the gate, Jesus is drawing a distinction between two kinds of prayer, two types of prayer. There is a God-glorifying prayer and there is a self-glorifying prayer. And he's warning there's a prayer that seeks to bring adoration to glory and there is a prayer that seeks um, to be admired by others. There is a prayer that seeks to give glory and honor 
And there is also a type of prayer whose primary focus is to receive. And Christ had just given a warning in chapter 6, verse 1. Strong language here. He says, beware of practicing your acts of righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So he had just spoken about giving and he warned them about not giving in a trumpet sounding kind of way that evidently there was this giving that was motivated by this desire to be admired and seen by others so much to the point of like, if somebody stood up right now and sounded a trumpet, like what would we do? We would look at the trumpet player. <laughs> and this is what this, is what this, this um, impure, ungodly motive looks like. It's like a trumpet sounding. Look, look at me. Look at what I give. And it's in this same teaching where God says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Give. When you give, give in secret. God in secret sees you. He's going to reward you publicly. Like He is inviting us to the secret and He's, he's reminding the same mo- warning about the same motivation in prayer. Evidently, there were uh, these religious leaders who they would actually map out their, their when and where they would pray for the purpose of being seen by other people. That word streets there speaks of wide streets. It speaks of the most trafficked areas. And so there would literally be this plan of saying, okay, at this time, at this place, it's the busiest place, and I'm going to go and I'm going to pray, and people are going to hear me praying. And God says, if you're looking for the reward of man, and, and, and you're looking for the applause of man, well, congratulations, because that, that's your reward. That's where it ends. That, that's your reward, but rather God is calling us to a deeper, more intimate act of worship through prayer and through giving. And so he warns them about their motives. Later in verse 8, he's going to say, don't heap up empty phrases. It's the idea of praying in a mechanical way. Like in a way where like you're talking and you don't even mean what you're saying or you're not even thinking about what you're saying. It's just like it's mechanical. And so we read this story and it's easy to shake our heads at the wicked Pharisees and say shame on them. But I think we all have to ask an honest question. Have we ever given or served in a way that our acts of righteousness might be seen by other people? And so, so I, I think it's important that God, God is, is, our hearts are bare before the Lord to really see this, on, this motive that honors the Lord God. As the song goes, give us clean hands, give us a pure heart. Like He's, he's looking for our true worship and He's worthy. And so we see Christ encouraging and challenging in this area of motivation. But then we also see the discipline of prayer. And it is a discipline. In verse 6, Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room. And shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And I'm I'm intentional with that word of discipline. Because discipline is the very thing that calls us to do what we know we should do instead of what we want to do. Like, it is so hard to stop and to... Do something different if you're in the middle of it. And it's no different. Jesus is commanding to, hey, when you pray, stop. And I want you to go to your, I want you to go to your room. I want you to go to your room. You say, 
So why it takes discipline to stop. It especially takes discipline to stop and pray when you feel like there's just too much on the to-do list for the day. It, it's, it's tempting to not have the discipline to stop when we are like, you know what? I do this every day. I don't really, and that's not like we would say this out loud, but, but, but when we don't pray, when we don't seek the Lord's grace and strength and guidance, it's kind of like, I've got this. I, I can do this. I've done this all my life. I do this every day. Like, it's all good. Like, it's easy when we think we've got it, or it's easy when we think we're too busy, too busy not to have that discipline, but we have to remember prayer is the oxygen of our spiritual lives. And when we neglect this gift of communion through communication, it's like we're spiritually walking around holding our breath. And yet uh, the prayer is the oxygen. It's the vitality of the believer's life. Jesus says, go into your room. What does that speak of? It speaks of solitude. I mean, many of you know, and I, I probably talk about them often, maybe too often, I don't know, but like, I got five kids in there, like our house, we call it Crazy Town USA, and like there's not a lot of quiet in our house, not a lot of quiet, so, so sometimes Amber and I will be like, okay, like we'll call out one of our kids, okay, you're going to watch the baby, <laughs> and, and then like, like here's what y'all can talk about, and mommy and daddy are going to go like right over here in the room, and we're going we're gonna to close the door because we we need to have adult conversation. We need to uh, have an opportunity to communicate and, uh, and to, to, to talk and to conversate about the day. Why do we do that? Because we, we go because there's this, there's this sense of like, okay, like in order to be able to focus on this, like there needs to be some stepping away. There needs to be some space. After a full day and night of ministry in Capernaum, the disciples rose up and they were like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Anybody know where Jesus was? After a full day and night of ministry, Jesus was in the desert place. And He was communing with His Father. Why? Because it was the oxygen to the ministry of Christ. And so that go to your room speaks of this discipline of going to that place of solitude. And then he says, shut your door. And I think in a very real practical way, that communicates to us of, of like removing distractions. I mean, we're not going to take a poll, but I just wonder how many of us walk around with our phones attached to us like all the time. Like all the time, even to the point of our quiet time, like it's right there by us and that ding goes off or it lights up or, and, and, and like, like we can get diverted so easily. And I'm not, I'm not, I have a phone. I'm not, I'm not saying like they're bad. I'm just saying like we all know what those distractions are. Like I have my phone on me like a lot. And, but, but when I'm here and preaching, like my phone isn't on me. Because I'll feel it buzz or I'll hear it ding or I may sit in the chair and it may light up and, and then I'm, I'm chasing, you know, like what is that thing? And so this encouragement is that Jesus is saying, listen, when you pray, find a place of solitude. When you pray, remove distractions. And when you pray, when you pray, you're not ever alone. I am with you. I'm in the secret place. You are never, ever alone. Alone. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is great encouragement for anybody who says, 
I'm not sure how to pray. I don't know if I'm going to have the, the right words. Listen, there is one thing that Jesus wants in prayer, and it is your heart. Like the very thing Jesus is saying is like you, it's not about having the right words. It's about coming to Him with a motivation of giving Him glory and surrendering your will to His and praying whatever God has laid on your heart to pray. And so in the text, we see what is probably the most comforting truth and worth the trip to church this morning in verse 8. Do not be like them. Why? For your Father knows what you need before you ever ask. Before you ever ask Him. There have been so many times in my own intentional prayer time where there is such a weight, such a burden, there's, there's such a heaviness, there's so many like, like maybe even like, I don't even know how to pray, uh, but, but I, I've found myself in that intentional time, whether it's sitting in a chair or on my face on the floor or my eyes looking up towards heaven or going on a walk, like different prayer postures, if you will. But, but in that, that, that heart motivation is simply this prayer. I've prayed this, God, you know, and then I've just, I've just stopped and I rest. Like that is such an encouragement and comfort for the believer to know that our Father already knows what we need. And so that when we come, He already knows. But yet He loves us so much that He wants to hear His children's voice talk to their heavenly Father. And so we see in this, this motivation of prayer, this discipline of prayer, and then Jesus in His love and His grace. He didn't have to give us this. But he did in his love and his grace. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus says, pray like this. Now, this is the English translation, but if you actually dig into the original Greek, what Jesus is saying is He's saying, pray in this way. Pray like this. In other words, He's not like, it's good to memorize this. It's good to repeat this. But, but what Jesus is gifting us with is not this, this is the only way you can pray and pray like this and say it exactly this way. What Jesus is gifting us with is pray like this. It's a, it's a, it's a framework. It's a pathway. It's a design for prayer that honors Him. So he's, it's like almost like pray along these lines. And He says again in, in uh, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. It all starts with praise. It starts with adoration. That the goal of prayer is not our needs being met. The goal of prayer is God Himself. It's about giving Him glory. It's about giving Him honor. Our Father in Heaven speaks of through Christ. We have a relationship with Him. He's our Heavenly Father. And Jesus says, and hallowed be Your name. It is glorifying the Lord. Adoring Him. Praising Him. Praising God for His grace. Praising God for His mercy. Praising God for His holy and righteous character. Praying for His goodness. Praising Him, praising Him, praising Him, praising Him. And it's after adoration that Jesus moves from praise to submission. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, Your kingdom come. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We haven't even gotten to the physical needs. But we have, we, have, we have begun with praise and adoration. And now there is a surrendering of our will to God's will. So in other words, everything we're going to say after this is in adoring you and wanting your will instead of my will for my life. In the words of, of uh, Al Mola, he wrote a book called The Prayer That Turns the World Upside Down. And he actually kind of lays out what we're, what we're praying when we say your kingdom come. I, I, I want to share that this morning. He says, when we pray your kingdom come, what are we praying? He says, we're praying an altogether wonderful and dangerous thing at the same time. He says, we're praying that history would be brought to a close. We're praying to see all the nations rejoice in the glory of God. We're praying to see Christ honored as King in every human heart. We're praying to see Satan bound, evil vanquished, and death no more. We're praying to see the mercy of God demonstrated in the full justification and acquittal of sinners through the shed blood of the crucified and resurrected Christ. We're praying to see the wrath of God poured out upon sin. We're praying to see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're praying to see the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, the new creation. That before I have made a step or, or even a move towards my need, I am adoring and praising God. And I'm saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. And then Jesus moves us into needs. Needs, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And I wish we had the time to, 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 to run into the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and no doubt uh, very vivid in the mind of, of all these uh, Jewish followers of Jesus that they would know how God was so faithful to lead His people through the wilderness and through that pillar of cloud by day, through that pillar of fire by night, and how He provided daily bread. Daily bread. And how God sustained them in the desert place. God always provides for our needs. And I think all of us know there's a big difference between needs and wants, right? <laughs> Shake your head. We, we, we know there's a difference, right? Needs and wants. But, but this speaks of physical need. It speaks of daily bread, not weekly bread, not monthly bread, not annual bread, not semi-annual bread, like daily bread, the need for the day that Christ not only expects us to pray for the physical needs in our life, but He invites us to pray for our physical needs. There's no separation of like, this is physical and this is spiritual, and let's like keep these across. So Not like Jesus, like the whole thing is spiritual. Why? Because Jesus says, pray for all things, and all things through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And so we see this invitation to pray for our physical needs. Right now, many of you have written, shared physical needs. They're represented on these index cards. Every single person in this room right now, there's physical needs that you desperately need from the Lord. And so in this, in this text, one of the greatest encouragements that I can share with you as you read your Bible 
and you have your quiet time is just ask the question, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about myself? What does this, how does this point me to Jesus? Because every text does. And so in here, we see that Jesus is encouraging us to bring our requests known to Him, and He reveals His character. How? He reveals to us that He is our provider. He reveals to us that He alone is our source for nourishment for our life. That our Heavenly Father, Creator God, is the only one who's not dependent on anyone or any, or any person for anything. That this, this ask teaches us that God wants to hear from us. It reminds us that God is faithful. It reminds us that He's our Heavenly Father and He cares for us. And it reminds us about His kingdom and our physical needs and how it's actually our needs that point us to look to God as our only source of help and nourishment and lasting satisfaction. So in this prayer, we again see that this daily bread is that constant reminder of God and His grace and our need for it and the fact that He supplies it. So praise Him. Submit to Him. Bring our needs before Him. And now in verse 12, we see forgiveness. Verse 12, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And again, every line is like could be like a six-week series. <laughs> so, so, so just, just to kind of summarize it in, in a way that is true to the text, forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people because we have experienced God's grace and forgiveness. It is through His grace and His forgiveness that allows us and gives us the grace to forgive others. When we are in Christ, we are, the Bible says, justified. That is a legal term. It is official. We are forgiven. But all of us understand that there are areas of whether it's sinful residue or these things that hurt, things they do that hurt the heart of God, that hinder our relationship with Him. And so Jesus is teaching us to call sin what it is, call sin what it is, repent of it, and rest in His forgiveness and grace. And so we see praise we see submission, we see the bringing of needs, we see forgiveness. And lastly, we see protection from temptation. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. And so I thought God doesn't, God doesn't tempt. You're absolutely right. Because that word right there for temptation is also the same word that's used for trial and testing. And that it has been said that this could read, Lord, don't ever lead me into a trial that will present such a temptation that when I am in it, I would not be able, with your grace, to resist it. So this, 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 this prayer of understanding there's a spiritual war, and we're at spiritual warfare. He goes on to say in verse uh, 13, but deliver us from evil. Literally, it means deliver us from the evil one. We are in a spiritual battle. And God has, in His grace, laid out in Ephesians 6, the armor of God that is readily available for His disciples to take on and to honor Him and bring glory to Him. And so I, I, I share this this text and this command in light of 
this understanding that God cares about your heart. And He not only cares about your heart, but He cares about your motivation. Like how we, we started this whole thing with understanding that Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's a heart issue. When you love somebody, it's a joy. When you love somebody, it's a joy. When we love the Lord, it's a joy to come in prayer. But we also all understand this is a discipline. And I think we all know that God wants more of us in this area of our life. And He's worthy of more of us. But yet Jesus in His grace and love even said, pray like this. And He mentors us. He teaches us. He commands us. He walks us through what prayer looks like. Adoration and praise. Submitting our will. Surrendering our will to His. Bringing our needs before Him. He wants to hear. Seeking that forgiveness and grace. And being equipped to walk through the spiritual war that we all walk through an experience in a way that honors Him. And so as we close today, um, we are going to close in a little bit of a different way than we typically do. Uh, I'm going to invite my, my bride uh, is going to come and she's going to just, just play the piano over us. And as we do, we're just going to have uh, just a, a, a focused time of prayer. Last week, before we left in our services, I mentioned earlier, we invited people. Uh, we had index cards that were all over the, all in the back of the seats and, and pins there. And just simply, how can we pray for you? And that, that, that was written down. And we've taken all those and these have been here all week. Our, 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 our pastoral staff have prayed over these this week. And we have an opportunity now to pray for one another. And so let me go ahead and give you a heads up. This is probably going to be a little messy, okay? But messy's okay. Messy's okay. Here's the invitation. If you would be willing to pray for, I would say not even just one, but like multiple. I want to invite you, when I say amen, I want to invite you to come and I want you to take a few of these and you can stand right here. You can bow at the altar. You can sit on the front row. Wherever you want to go, you can gather as a family and you can circle up and you can sit on the floor. Whatever you want to do. But just take some time and specifically intercede. Because on this altar right now represents the prayer request of young children and represents the prayer request of our most senior adult. And everywhere in between... And somebody cared enough to say, this is a need in my heart, in my life right now. Would you please pray for me? And so we're going to just be the church and praying for one another. And so as you do that, I want to invite you to come and take several uh, and, and pray for them. And when you pray, here's what I'd like you to do. Just bunch them up. And in the cross, there are these little uh, slats or, or slits or whatever you want to call them. And just, just put them in there. And what this represents is this, this is this reminder of Hebrews 4 that invites us to come with confidence and find grace and help in our time of need because of the shed blood of Jesus. So come and pray. And as you do, let's let's intercede on these requests. Intercession is like this go-between. I think about the Memphis Bridge connecting Arkansas and, and Tennessee and Memphis. And intercession is the bridge between. We are going to be that intercessor between heaven and earth on behalf of our brothers, our sisters, and our family of faith. 
And it could be that maybe you don't have anything that's up here, but you just want to come and pray, come and pray. You want to sit there and pray, sit there and pray. We'll have pastors are available. May you want somebody to pray over you specifically. We're here to pray over one another. But this time is just a time of intercession. And so let's pray and, uh, and, and let's just allow our hearts and ourselves to be used of the Lord in this time. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And uh, I thank you for the blessing of prayer. And God, I thank you for the blessing of praying for one another. And God, this truly is a gift of communion through communication. And so, Father, in this time, on these steps represent hurts. On these steps represent struggles. On these steps represent pain. On these steps represent people who find themselves figuratively on the ocean floor, desperately needing grace. So God, I pray, use this time. Hear the hearts of your people interceding and praying for others. And God, we pray that uh, you would be honored with it and you would be glorified in it. And God, we do love you. And we praise you and we pray this adoring you. We pray this surrendering our will to your will. And God, we offer these needs and requests in hopes and knowing that you will answer. God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, welcome to sit. Welcome to stand. Welcome to move. Let's pray for one another uh, in this time of worship.